It is the Colby Daniels Podcast. I am Colby Daniels along with my co-host, Will Brewer, as it is our weekly MMA combat sports episode. Will Brewer, finally, it is fight week. I know we had fights last week, but it is fight week. It's UFC 267 fight week. I am I am thrilled. I cannot wait for Saturday. Yeah, man, I, my excitement level, I mean, all week has been at its peak. You know, we've been talking about, you know, Cowboys football. Uh, we've been talking about basketball. You know, we've been talking about a lot of other sports to kind of, um, you know, feel the time because, you know, we can't get completely hyped about Aspen Ladd and Norman Dumont. And then, I mean, granted, the, the, they're good fighters and everything, but it's not UFC 267. It's not a pay-per-view week. It's not Fight Island. Uh, so UFC 267, I'm, I am hyped for this card. Top to bottom is going to be amazing, even though it's an early card. I'm all in, man. I will wake up as early as I need to Amen. and uh, be ready for this card. Well, first of all, I'm just glad that I don't have any sort of like on-site work obligation on Saturday. So that's the first obstacle. The second obstacle is Oklahoma plays Texas Tech. Oklahoma State <laughs> plays Kansas. The two state schools that I cover are both playing the worst two teams in the Big 12. So I think, I think, uh, I you know, it's, it's smooth sailing on Saturday to, uh, you know, I'll have those games on, obviously, but... My full attention beginning at 9.30 a.m. is Fight Island oh UFC gosh. 267. Wow, I, di- I didn't realize it was that early, but man. Prelims, baby. <laughs> prelims. 9.30 prelims. <laughs> when I said I'll wake up as early as I need to, I didn't know we were talking about 9.30 yeah. for the prelims. Oh, man. You know what goes really uh, well but- with a cup of coffee and a breakfast burrito? An ass kicking <laughs> in the middle of the octagon. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, man, uh, well... That just, uh, I'm going to have to set an alarm for that one because, you know, normally on weekends I like to sleep in, but I'm going to be locked and loaded for yeah. uh, UFC 267 prelims for yeah. sure. Uh, having people over, having a little uh, little soiree. Uh, so, you know, lots of food, lots of uh, bacon-wrapped jalapenos, all that good stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I got I to gotta be there, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that I, this whole thing with my fence gets settled quickly, but, you know, I got to be there for that. Yeah, the door will be the open, man. The door will be open. Hey. I'm I'm going to try to be there. Uh, I'm gonna try to rush him, right. but I, I really want to be there for that. I will. Gi- sure. I'll give you a uh, an ETA on the food, but like you miss it by too much, and that there will there will be none left. That's all I'm saying. I I, I don't blame it. Whoever <laughs> Wall's gonna be there as soon as they touch one of those bacon wrapped jalapenos right. and they try it. I mean, that night I came, I I, I asked for two or three. And I want, I literally wanted like 15 more. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, be- you were way too passive the last time around. Like you just got to say, yeah, fill me, like hook it up. Yeah. I, I didn't want to be that guy, but, uh, now that you t- you opened the door for it, I'm like, bruh. Yeah, man. Yeah. Help, yeah. Help yourself. <laughs> yeah. It'll be, it'll be good. Look, this isn't like a, you know, I don't want to watch UFC 267 with like 18 people running around acting crazy. So it's not going to be a packed house. There are going to be a few people that, uh, you know, have full intention of watching, the ass kickings and uh, just enjoying the process of uh, of fight day. So, well, I'll tell you what, man. Uh, if, if this whole thing with my fence gets finished quick, I am there one thousand percent. And uh, save some of those bacon and jalapenos. All right, man. man. Yeah, I'll, uh, don't, don't, I'll don't give it, don't don't give them all out. You know, just save a, You know, have a have a little stash. You know, over here that has will on it. And <laughs> look, I'm I'm speaking for myself. I can save you some, but if a certain amount of time passes, I don't trust myself. <laughs> To not eat them like at a certain point, so that's I, I'm you know I'll give you an ETA, but right, you know there's right. an expiration date on my willingness to like look at those things and not eat them. 
Right. I, I don't blame you, brother. I don't blame you. Uh, uh, by the way, those things are. So it top is. Uh, notch. Yeah, top notch. Yeah, they, they they just they pair really great with you know a, a top notch pay per view card that you get for free. Yes, for free on ESPN Plus. If you if you don't have ESPN Plus, like. I enjoy everything, all the coverage that's on ESPN Plus with MMA, with uh, college football, everything that comes with it. But for for you to have a pay per view, a UFC pay per view on ESPN Plus, if you don't have ESPN Plus, what are you doing? Right. Come on, you got to get it. Right. I mean, I, look, it's worth it. Even if if you even if you just want to do like the multi screen um, function they have for like all the college football games on a Saturday, it's worth right. it just for that. Right. Like I'll I'll put like four college football games through that app on one screen and it's like there we go i'm covered but yeah not only that and then you have the the ufc you can go back and watch uh old fights uh and they, they're normally pretty quick with the pay-per-view cards they'll in, in like a week or two they'll have the full card um the full pay-per-view card on uh, espn plus so uh like just earlier today i watched a few fights uh cory sanhagen tj dillashaw watched that fight in its entirety i watched uh peter yan aljamain sterling in its entirety uh, all on espn plus yeah so if you don't have it uh get, get it. it yeah and uh thank you to espn plus for the future endorsement <laughs> we're doing you guys a solid uh, not that right. they need us but yeah espn plus is awesome um and look i mean most of the time Fights, you know, the weekly fights are on ESPN Plus, but especially on this occasion, you get a free pay-per-view out of the deal. So it pays for itself one time. One time it pays for itself. Uh, as we record this, Will, we are getting ready for the main card of uh, the PFL Championships tonight. Kayla Harrison is headlining this card. Ray Cooper's in action. Clarissa Shields in action. Uh, Chris Wade in action. Uh, it's going to be a pretty fun night. So I will uh, I'll do my best not to get distracted as we record here, but we have uh, a big night of fights in the PFL as well. Yeah, man, and they've they've loaded this card with with their superstars, right? Like we've got Kayla Harrison, uh, who's on the last fight of her deal, going for a million dollars. You got Clarissa Shields uh, coming over from boxing uh, in her second M- MMA fight. Um, you got Ray Cooper uh, on this card. Like this card is loaded. Uh, Ray Cooper is the only guy who I've seen basically just pummel Roy McDonald for three rounds. Uh, Roy McDonald basically did not even win a round. Uh, Ray Cooper completely shocked me. I thought this was going to be an easy win for Rory, but Ray Cooper had his way. Now he's in the finals. So this uh, this card is stacked with uh, PFL's best talent for sure. Yeah, uh, I think six belts on the line tonight overall. So yeah, it's the I mean that you know they do the season structure, and tonight's the, the fi- it's the Super Bowl if you will. It's the final night of the season, so everybody's fighting for uh, their respective strap, and it's all on the line tonight. So and that million dollar prize, right? Right, yeah. I mean, if there isn't enough incentive to want to become a world <laughs> champion in the PFL, you are at, you are also getting an a million dollars with your win. So, yeah, PFL is definitely one million dollars. <laughs> one million dollars, Richard. <laughs> All right, um, I, I'm having a hard time talking about anything else before we get to UFC 267, but we got to hit the main event last week. Marvin Vittori, Paulo Costa, what a what a clusterfuck this entire thing was leading up to the fight. Like, when we recorded this last week, we didn't know where the fight was going to take place, but at that point in time, 
the the thought process was this thing was going to happen at 195 instead of 185. Well, it eventually took place at 205, light heavyweight, 20 pounds over the originally scheduled weight class. And again, all of this goes down two days before weigh-ins. What a, a disaster. And I, I would say this, the entire MMA community has pretty much shit all over Paulo Costa for the shenanigans that he pulled, as did we a week ago, right? Like, I, I didn't think that, uh, I thought we were actually somewhat soft on him compared to what I've heard other people say about the guy. Um, he's going to have to fight at light heavyweight going forward, uh, according to Dana White. Uh, so his days, you know, he mentioned last week he wanted to be uh, the middleweight champion. Well, that's not happening. He's done at 185. So uh, Dana's not going to deliver any more punishment than the 20% that he lost in his purse. But the big stipulation here is going forward, he's a light heavyweight. So uh, that's the first part of this. But let's give it up a to Marvin Vittori for... The, the situation that he was in overall for stepping up to the challenge and taking on Costa at 205, for winning the fight and being game for all of this. And look, for as much as Paulo Costa irritated the shit out of everybody, uh, that turned into a hell of a five-rounder. Yeah, man. Look, going into this fight week, uh, it was kind of a, of a battle of who's more delusional out of Marvin Vittori and Paulo Costa. Like, these two made it really easy to dislike both of them. Uh, but... Somehow throughout this fight week, Marvin Vittori came out of it as a guy that everyone loves. And Paulo Costa just did everything in his power to make people hate him even more. Um, you know, it started with this whole interview with Paulo Costa talking about how he wasn't going to make weight. And then it was like he was putting it on Marvin. Like it was Marvin's fault that he if this fight doesn't happen, it's all on Marvin. And we were like, bro, like, well, first of all, Marvin was, was like, I'll fight you anyway. But he, but Paolo just kept putting his, his own foot in his own mouth. Uh, but, you know, props to Marvin, man, for just being like, I'll fight you at heavyweight, I'll fight you at whatever weight. Um, if it wasn't for Marvin being uh, being that willing to fight, uh, this fight may not have happened. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of other fighters would have been like, you know, I, I signed to fight at this weight and that's a, uh, the weight I'm going to fight at. Uh, but yeah. Marvin was like, I'll fight you at whatever weight. I just want to fight you. Um, so he gained a lot of fans, a lot of respect by doing that. Uh, Paulo, on the other hand, man, you know, uh, it was already tough um, after he lost to Izzy and he was talking about uh, how he drank too much wine beforehand and all these excuses. And now he comes into this fight week uh, talking about how he's not going to be able to make weight. Um, first, it was at a 195 pound catch weight. And then all of a sudden, uh, maybe a day later, it gets moved up to 205. So, uh, you know, that Marvin's game, but. Paulo just can't make this weight. And so, it, you know, I feel like it was a real slap in the face to the sport uh, to go in on fight week and just say that I'm not going to be able to make this weight. I mean, we saw Nick Diaz do something similar, but Nick Diaz didn't do it on fight week. He did it like maybe a week and a half before. And Nick Diaz hadn't fought in six years. Like yeah. Paulo has been out of the out of the cage for uh, maybe a, a year at best. So, you know, you should be able to keep your, your weight under control. But, you know, he made excuses after the fight saying, you know, my shoulder, my foot, you know, all this stuff. At that point, no one's really going to believe you. You can say what you want, but, you know, the fight week was what it was. Um, but the fight itself, the fight itself was spectacular. I mean, I thought that we were going to see Apollo Costa that was uh, out of shape and wasn't going to be able to sustain uh, his normal pace for five rounds. Boy, was I wrong. Paolo came out there and he wanted to win that fight. Um, Marvin had a little bit more in the tank, but he Marvin took some uh, some powerful leg kicks, some powerful body kicks. Uh, he survived a head kick that would have took most people out. Um, they were going at it for five rounds. That was one of the, for me. That was one of the fights of the year. I don't think it's going to get 
the type of love that it should get because of all the, the BS that Paulo put uh, put on it. But that fight was incredible. Um, props to both guys. Uh, it was great. For Marvin Vittori to absorb some of the shots he took in that fight, A, I mean, you know, throw all the stuff about him accepting all of the bullshit that he had to deal with to, to even make this fight happen. Like, I think he gained a ton of respect for, just from that element. But the other element, and we see this all the time in the UFC, when when you're able to show the toughness that, that Marvin Vittori showed, especially, once again, given the whole weight situation here, uh, it was remarkable. Dude, I thought he was done on that head kick. Like, I thought it was yeah. over. And I, I thought, even if, if he was able to survive momentarily, uh, you know, Picasso was going to be able to get, get a finish there. And... You know, it ends up going the distance. Um, I, I will say that it was a great fight. It was wildly entertaining. I, I don't know that I would have it in the fight of the year contention. And probably a reason for that is because of the point deduction. Like, it felt like Paulo Costa was tremendously behind in the fight. So, while it was super entertaining, I mean, even going into the final round, you felt like Vittori's up by three points here, and Costa needs a finish to, to put this thing away. And, and I give him credit for, I mean, laying it on Vittori in that fifth round. But, like, from a from a competitive point structure standpoint, like, that point deduction really m- didn't make it that close of a fight. You just kind of felt like Paulo was going to have to get a finish. And uh, I, I don't know. That, that's just kind of watching it from that aspect probably keeps it, for me, from being, you know, one of those, like, fight of the year candidates. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, but I was more so talking about how... Um, in terms of the damage that both guys uh, inflicted on each other yeah. uh, throughout the course of the fight, you know, uh, the powerful uh, shots that Marvin was taking and uh, the volume that Marvin was uh, was able to give back and uh, just the, the heart and the toughness that both guys showed. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Marvin definitely was winning the fight. There was no uh, question about that. And the point deduction just added to that. But uh, and just in terms of how tough both guys uh, proved to be on this night, yeah. uh, from what my I guess from what my expectations were, because I, I told you last <laughs> week, I felt like Marvin was just going to uh, that Paulo was going to gas after the second round and Marvin was going to finish him. I didn't I didn't expect um, that type of performance from Paulo. Um, I mean, for all the BS that he did, I, I mean, I'll say that he did perform um better than I thought he would. So maybe I'm speaking from that, from those terms. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I mean, just, just from an entertainment standpoint, from an action standpoint, it was as good as uh, anything we've seen. And, um, you know, I, again, I think Vittori here deserves a lot of credit for deciding to stand up and bang with, I mean, one of the heaviest hitters in the entire sport, right? And and especially being the heavier guy in that situation in favor of Costa. I thought, it, I thought Vittori was going to go for takedowns way earlier than he did and try and turn this into a ground game and try and use the submissions. And to his credit, like he, he knew the kind of fight that people expect in a main event, and he gave it to him. And, you know, that's just another element of Marvin Vittori gaining respect in this thing. Um, you know, we used the ter- term delusional last week about both of these guys, right, in, in reference to their opinions on how they match up with Israel Adesanya and maybe what they're owed and all of that. I mean, both guys have a certain level of delusion. I don't know if you caught this, but going into the fifth round, Paulo Costa's corner told him that he's either winning or it's tied going into the fifth. And I was like, you know what? That's on brand. For Paulo Costa and his corner telling him that he's either winning or it's tied, knowing that he got a point deduction in this thing, is as delusional as any corner advice I think I've heard in my entire time watching the sport. Yeah, it, it, it completely makes sense that uh, Paula would uh, make excuses as to why he lost to Israel. And then for, you know, to hear his corner tell him that. I mean, we've heard some 
some delusional things that corners have said. But, you know, this one, when he was clearly losing this fight, yeah. I mean, and then with the point deduction, uh, I mean, I don't know what exactly what fight they were watching. I don't know if they were just strictly looking at what Paulo was doing uh, against what Marvin was giving back to him. But, I mean, Marvin, for, for my money, was winning a majority of these rounds. And I think you can maybe give Paulo one round, but <laughs> at the same time, yeah. uh, Marvin was in control of this fight for uh, for most of this fight. Uh, outside of the fifth round, I mean, I, you could argue that Marvin won the first four pretty pretty uh, easily. I had it 3-1 Marvin going into the fifth, and I think the closest round and the one that I think is the most debatable on either either side is the one that I gave to Paulo. Like, I think that was a debatable round that you could arguably give to uh, to Marvin, and then you add the point deduction to that. Best case scenario, it's 3-1 Marvin with a point deduction on top. Worst case right. scenario, it's 4-0 and a point <laughs> right. deduction. So any idea that you're ahead on a scorecard going into the fifth is so delusional. And look, to Paulo's credit, he didn't approach that fifth round like, you know, he was coasting to a victory. I mean, he he went for it and, you know, he he obviously dominated the fifth round. But like, yeah, for that to be the advice, like you're either winning or it's tied going into the final five minutes, I thought, okay, well, this is going to be the worst fifth round ever. And, and <laughs> thank God Paulo didn't approach it that way. Uh, you know, there was a point in that fifth round where I thought he might get the finish. Yeah, uh, Paulo definitely performed uh, very well in that fifth round. Definitely performed like he knew he needed to finish uh, internally, despite what his corner was telling him. And then on top of that, Marvin wasn't letting him breathe at all. Like uh, Marvin was on him the entire fight. So if Paulo wouldn't have um, wouldn't have been active, Marvin probably would have finished him with his with his volume and uh, with the shots that he was landing. Uh, Marvin might have uh, got the finish. So. Uh, but like I said, props to Paulo for, for going out there and, uh, and showing his toughness, showing his heart. It just sucks that we know how delusional his corner is and then <laughs> all the BS that um, that he put Marvin through in, in, in the fight week. So it, it, it kind of takes away from the performance Absolutely, uh, because, of what, because of what happened uh, in, in the fight week. So, I mean, uh, now Paulo's uh, at light heavyweight. I mean, there's nothing he can do about it. He said that – he said – why would I go to light heavyweight when I know I can make 185? I was like, bruh. I, I turned. I, I didn't listen to the rest of the press conference after that. I was like, okay. You literally guy. just didn't make 185. <laughs> yeah, it was it was bad. You didn't yeah, even attempt so, it. Uh, didn't even attempt. He it. He was 211 so, pounds 48 hours before weigh-in. Right. Didn't even attempt it. And then, and then on fight day, he's what 226 pounds. You sent me that. Uh, that uh, yeah. stat that said that Paulo was only like five or six pounds under what Stipe weighed in his last heavyweight title fight, which is insane. Yeah, on fight day, Paulo Costa weighed 226. And just to reference this, I mean, this is a guy that, that's fighting at 185 and fighting a 185-er at 205 on Saturday night. He was 226 going into that fight. Stipe was 233 when he fought Francis for the, for the heavyweight title. He was seven pounds heavier than Paulo. <laughs> I, I mean, is, is light heavyweight really the class that he should be at? <laughs> right? Right? It's, yeah, it's, it's wild, man. Who do you want to see Paulo Costa matched up with in, uh, in the light heavyweight division? Well, I don't think you throw him to the wolves of the division right away. I mean, even though uh, this division is kind of, I'm not going to say it's wide open, but I think it's still kind of taking shape. Uh, there's there's guys who are um, starting to really separate themselves. So I wouldn't give Paulo one of those guys right away, even though there are some matchups in the top five that would be really, really uh, solid to see. 
uh, for Paulo. But for me, I would give him uh, someone who's kind of lower in the rankings. Maybe maybe not even someone who is ranked, um, but a, a, a favorable matchup, a good matchup. Uh, I would give him uh, Iwan uh, Kutalaba first. That's, that was one of the guys on my list, and I think that would be a magnificent fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, just the, the, the fireworks that would come from that. I mean, uh, both guys go forward. Yeah, I would love to see a fight like that. Outside of that, I mean, there's other guys who you can give them, but I think out of everyone, Costa and, and Kutalaba for sure. So uh, when I was looking through the light heavyweight division, um, the first two names that actually stuck out to me were Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker. Obviously a complete dud that we watched with those two guys in the main event. Um, both of those guys are strikers. It would be a great matchup with Paulo. Both of those guys could use a big-time uh, matchup. And look, if they fail once again to you know, start the engine, uh, then you know, maybe that's all, all you need to know as, as you know, for Dana White's decisions going forward. But uh, it, it either you know, gives you an opportunity to bounce back either one of those two guys with an entertaining fight or it's a massive win for Paulo Costa – uh, at 205. I also thought Ryan Spann would be a great matchup who uh, just lost recently. And then uh, the other two names, Jamal Hill and Kudalaba. Yeah, those are those are all really good matchups. Uh, I mean, the only reason why I didn't think of Santos and Johnny Walker was just because of the duds that that Santos has put up, put out lately. And then Johnny Walker, um, you don't know if they still have that level of crazy that we thought they did. Um, but Kutalaba doesn't know any better. Right. <laughs> so, so he's going to have the same level of crazy no matter who he's in there fighting. So that's why I thought that that would be the best matchup. But uh, Jamal Hill, that's a really uh, good matchup. Two young guys uh, who are wanting to make a name for themselves. I mean, Paulo already has, but in, at 205, he's looking to make a name for himself. Um, Ryan Spann would be a good one, too. Um, uh, he would have to get over that that height discrepancy. Uh, we saw what he what, uh well, how he fought Izzy, um, he was kind of laid uh, back, kind of trying to fight at distance, but that's not how he fights. So if he's going to fight someone taller like a Ryan Spann, he's going to have to find a way to get inside that reach. So um, all those matchups are pretty intriguing for sure. As for Marvin Vittori at 185, um, you know, he's fought Izzy twice. The first one was a, a competitive fight. The second one, despite what Marvin Vittori would tell you, was complete dominance by Israel Adesanya. I don't know that there's a massive appetite from UFC fans to see Vittori Adesanya 3, at least right now. But, you know, Vittori gained a lot of respect with what happened this week. So I think if you were able to maybe allow him to parlay some of that respect into a little bit more momentum, maybe you could, down the road, sell Marvin Vittori Israel Adesanya 3. But as for now, I mean, what, Cannoneer? Cannoneer makes sense? I've got the perfect fight for you. Okay. Uh, I, I was literally driving... Uh, the other day, and uh, I just, you know, it was like a light bulb. I've got the perfect fight for you. I, I was just talking about uh, with Tiago and uh, and Johnny Walker uh, and Kutalaba, like matching that level of crazy, right? Marvin Vittori, Sean Strickland. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love per- it. Perfect fight right yeah. there. Um, Sean Strickland uh, was supposed to fight Luke Rockhold next week uh, at MSG, but Luke Rockhold had to pull out, so that frees up Strickland. And uh, Vittori's coming off that uh, this fight with, with Paulo, I think when uh, when you look at the matchup, just the 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 idea of how uh, crazy it could get, how violent yeah. it could get, um, it's a it's a perfect fight. I don't really think there's anywhere else that you could go for Marvin at 185. Um, so you land on Strickland, and it's a perfect matchup. I mean, Cannonier and Brunson are about to fight. 
uh, Whitaker and Adesanya, of course, are fighting for the title. Darren Till's out. Gaslam's probably moving back down to 170. So it, it just kind of lines up. Yeah. Like they're, they're just kind of right. like on a collision course at this point. I had forgotten so, that Cannonier uh, and Brunson were scheduled for the January pay-per-view. Right, yeah, Cannonier yeah. and Brunson, yeah. So so it just frees up uh, Sean Strickland. You're just like, who, who am I going to fight now that Luke Rockhold is out? And then Marvin Vittori is like, well, I've, you know, there's not really anybody else left. So... Yeah, but Tori Strickland, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and, and I mean, by the process of elimination, I think it's really the only one there, right? Unless exactly. you're going to have him face somebody all the way down at the bottom of the rankings, which I'm, I I know Marvin wants to fight somebody, but I don't know that, that he would be willing to, you know, go give number 15 an opportunity. Right. He, he wants to fight uh, someone who's going to get him closer to the title yeah. shot. So I'm sure... Um, I don't know what Sean Strickland's timeline is. I'm sure Vittori's going to need some time after that war he had with, with Paulo, but... um. I mean, if he wanted to wait for a Cannoneer, Brunson winner or loser, that might make sense. But just knowing that Sean Strickland is free, looking for an opponent, yeah. and uh, you know, if if Vittori can get uh, healthy and uh, can kind of have a, like a quicker turnaround than than normal, then uh, this is the fight. Great call, man. I like it. Make it happen, Sean Strickland, Marvin Vittori at one eighty five. Yeah, not not one ninety five, not two hundred five. Marvin Vittori, Sean Strickland, one eighty five. One eighty five. Yeah, uh, and. You know, Sean Strickland is definitely more. Uh, he might be crazy. He might be a lunatic, but he's definitely more professional than uh, Paulo Costa is. Yeah. So um, that fight would happen at 185, and we would get uh, a barn burner for sure. All right, man. Let's uh, let's talk some UFC 267 once again. Prelims begin Saturday morning at 9:30. This card is loaded. It is a blockbuster. I know there may be some American fans that aren't familiar with a lot of the international guys on on this card but let me assure you uh that that even throughout the prelims this thing is loaded man there there is not a bad fight bad matchup on this card it will be awesome from the word go uh including the the main card which we're going to talk about in a minute we will make our picks in a second but will you and i talked about this what like two months ago on an episode when this card was finally announced and then look i think you also you can't mention this card without also throwing out the fact that a week from saturday we have another pay-per-view card that is just as loaded as this one. I mean, it, it kind of, the back-to-back cards and the star power from start to finish on both the cards kind of feed off each other, right? It adds to the right. excitement of both cards. Yeah, man. I'm trying to, I'm trying my best to put 268 on the back burner until Sunday. It's tough, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best. Um, but yeah, like you said, it kind of just goes off each other. And in a way, it kind of feels like uh, 267 is a, is a fight night in a way. Uh, but just because it's on ESPN Plus, it doesn't have the late um, start time like a regular pay-per-view would. Uh, it's got the six-fight main card. So, you know, in in so many ways, it's similar to a, a, a fight night. But on the other hand, fight nights don't have two title fights most of the time. Yeah. So um, and, and most fight nights, it takes a special fight night to have this type of star power. I mean, every fight has a lot of, uh, of significance, especially on the main card. And then uh, you look at the prelims, and there's a lot of uh, of solid, solid fighters, um, a lot of international flavor, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to love on this card. It's from top to bottom on 267. It's it's just stacked, man. It's loaded. I mean, I, I think for the most part, you can probably judge a pay per view card by how many fighters on that card are headliners, right? Like how many of the guys fighting on a pay per view card would be the main event of any random fight night, right? And there's what 12, 13, 14 on this card. Yeah, man, just uh, like off the top of my head, you got Jan Glover, Jan Sanhagen. That's an easy four, but Makashev has uh, headlined a, a, a fight night. Dan Hooker has headlined a fight night. Volkov, 
um, like Vulcan's been in a main event before. Like yeah. so many guys uh, on this card um, just fit the bill when it comes to these fight nights. Like we've seen um, Aspen, Ladder, Norman, Dumont headline a show, but that's, we're not talking about those type of headliners. Right. These are these are the headliners who can actually carry a card and, and you can actually be really excited um, about their fights. So a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to love on this card. All right, so we're going to make eight selections. We have two prelim fights that we're going to choose from. We also have the six-fight main card. We have upped the ante, Will. We have upped the ante for these pay-per-view cards to close out the year. Uh, Explain what our point structure is here. All right, so our normal point structure, um, we normally just go on the main card. There will be five fights or six fights, and um, all uh, all of the fights except for the main event are one point. But uh, for all pay-per-view uh, main events, uh, there are three points. And title fights also are three points. But for th- for these last three pay-per-view cards, and we did it also on 266, but for these last three pay-per-view cards, we're up in the ante. We're adding, uh, two, we're adding three prelim fights, and uh, all those will be a point. And then for every main card uh, fight on the pay-per-view, it'll be worth three points. And then every title fight will be worth five points. And, of course, the main event which is going to be a title fight, will be five points. Yeah. So, um... So, Jan Glover is a five-pointer. Or, or, yeah, Jan Glover... There's two Jans, by the way, on this card. Right. <laughs> right. Jan Blahovich and then Pewter Jan. So, Jan Glover is a five-pointer. Jan Corey is a five-pointer. Islam Hooker's a three-pointer. Volkov Tabura, three-pointer. Uh, Lee Chimaev, three-pointer. Ankalaev Uzdemir, three-pointer. And then Hibas Jandaroba... Uh, one pointer and uh, Lerone Murphy and Maquan Amirkani one pointer. So, a lot of points up for grabs. Yeah, you said you said last week that your um that your picks are locked. Locked. And uh, no matter what I pick, your picks are going to be locked. Locked. So I I'm I try to put myself in in your mind. Okay. If I were Kobe, what would I pick? Okay. So. I think we're going to be on the opposite sides of a couple of these, okay. so uh, we'll see how it goes. It's a rare, <laughs> it's a rare situation that we think drastically different in in a lot yeah. of these scenarios because we're so like minded. I think when it comes to the sport and and what we appreciate about the sport. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there have been a handful of occasions where you thought I was going to do something and I didn't, but I think for the most part, uh, we kind of have a pretty good idea as to uh, where each other sit. And and look, I, I asked you yesterday, like just as confirmation, like what are the prelim fights you want to go with? You said exactly the ones that I was going to go with. So uh, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, we knew that that was going to happen. So uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what you're going to do. All right, here we go, Will. We start uh, our selections in the prelims, and it's at featherweight. We have Maquan Amirkani, who is 16 and six overall, versus Lerone Murphy, 10 0 and one overall. On this Wednesday, as we record, Lerone Murphy is a minus three ten favorite. Amir Khani plus two forty. Now, um, like I said, I try to put myself in your shoes, and I know you're a big, big fan of Lerone Murphy. And I try to be to be like, okay, <laughs> Marquand Amir Khani is tough. He's this. He's this. But I just didn't have it in me to pick against Lerone Murphy because I feel like he's got a lot of potential. Um, for for the international fighters, he's one, he's a young prospect who has a very high ceiling. Uh, so my pick's gonna go with uh, Lerone Murphy. You you nailed it, Lerone Murphy for me as well. Um, I do like the fact that this is uh, a step up in competition for him. Um, and look on the other side of this, Amir Khani's had a bunch of big matchups, right? So uh, I think from an overall, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, 
experience standpoint, uh, the underdog here is a big favorite in that in in that category. But I love the skill set of Lerone Murphy. I think he's a guy that that shows immense talent and massive upside. I think he's just going to continue to get better. So I I don't know that I like these odds being this drastic, but uh, it's Lerone Murphy for me. Yeah, he's had uh, a lot. He's fought some of the best guys like Arnold Allen, Shane Burgos, Edson Barbosa. Like he's been in there with the who's who of this division. Um, but you know, when it comes to uh, Lerone Murphy, you just see the. It's kind of like when when Israel Adesanya first came. You just yeah. see the potential in in the guy, uh, and you just see like this is a step up of competition. But you just don't really see Amir Khani as being that guy that uh, puts a stop to it. Yeah. I mean, you never know. I mean, we've seen crazier things happen. But um, Lerone Murphy's got all the potential in the world. All right, our feature prelim before we hit the six-fight main card of UFC 267. Women's strawweights, we have Amanda Hibas, 10-2 overall. Verna Jandaroba, 17-2 overall. Oddshark.com has Hibas as a minus-165 favorite, plus-135 for Jandaroba. Well, first, let me just say, uh, Amanda Hebos is, she's so fun. Like, when you see her on, like, the embeddeds and everything, like, she just seems like a very uh, just positive personality. She's always smiling. She's always happy. Uh, but when she gets in the cage, I mean, she's a very talented fighter. Um, she's got a lot of potential. She's got a lot of star uh, qualities in her, and I think the UFC uh, sees that. Uh, you know, of course, uh, she's she lost her last one against uh, your favorite female fighter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Mariana Rodriguez. But uh, outside of that, Amanda Hebos has been um, has, she's been pretty solid uh, throughout her UFC career. Um, submitted Paige Van Zandt before she fought uh, Rodriguez. Uh, she had she just got knocked out. She got caught with with some good shots. Um, Rodriguez is one of the best in the division. So um, now we go against uh, Vir- Verna Jandarobia? Yep. Did I get that close? Yep. Okay. So um, I feel like they're both these ladies are pretty similar. And when once again, I put myself in your shoes. What would I do if I was Kobe Daniels? And I had to think of I had to think. My question was, if I'm Kobe, do I bet on Amanda Hebos again after watching her get knocked out by uh, Rodriguez? I think you're gonna do it. So I'm going thinking that I'm going opposite. I'm picking Jandarobia. You're right. I am going to do it. This is redemption for Amanda Hebos, and you're absolutely right. I think she comes across on the embeddeds and everything as a very likable fighter and somebody that is marketable for the UFC. Uh, they could really benefit from her putting together a win streak in that division. Uh, but look, I like her skill set. And, you know, go back to that Marina Rodriguez matchup. First five minutes, it was all Hebos. She was completely controlling that fight until she caught one bad shot, pretty much ended the fight. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see if uh, she bounces back. But I, I still have uh, – I, th- I think there's still a lot of upside for her, and I think she will be a player at, uh, at strawweight once again. So opposite side of the feature prelim on UFC 267, which takes us to the main card. And we begin the main card of UFC 267 at light heavyweight Paulo Costa's new division. We have Magomed Ankalaev, 15-1 and overall against Vulcan Uzdemir, 17-5 and overall. Oddshark.com has Ankalaev as a minus 300 favorite, plus 235 for Uzdemir. Um, so Ankalaev has really shown that, he could, that he's a player at uh, light heavyweight. And uh, he's going against a guy who's a former title challenger who's been in there with uh, a lot of the killers in, in the division. Um, normally, when you beat Vulcan, uh, you're 
the elite of the elite. You know, you got to give Vulcan, you know, that credit. Um, I, I, I don't know if he's a gatekeeper at this point, but it kind of seems like he's uh, that stepping stone uh, to get that to get to the elite of the division. Um, I think at this point, um, seeing uh, Magomed do what he did to Kutalaba, uh, just uh, I didn't think that uh, Akalaev would be able to knock him out the way he did or just kind of have his way with him on the feet. I thought it would be more of Akalaev taking him down and uh, wearing him out. But um, to, to show his ability with his hands uh, really opened everyone's eyes uh, to do that to Kutalaba like that. Um, I think Vulcan is a, is a similar fighter to um, Kutalaba, except... Um, you know, like Vulcan has the power. He's not going to tire out as easy as uh, Iwan will. Um, so I definitely think this will be a tough fight, but I think uh, this is a, a win for Akalaya for sure. He's got more ways to win. Uh, if he's not having a, a good um, start on the feet, he'll take it to the ground. And uh, Vulcan hasn't really shown that he has um, very solid takedown defense. So um, I'm going Akalaya for sure. Uh, Uncle I for me as well. I mean, you mentioned the uh, the two fights against uh, Kudalaba and just how impressive he's been, um, you know, really since the the Paul Craig loss, and it's the only loss in his UFC career. He's, he really seems to be picking up a lot of steam and a guy that is uh, is on the ascension at 205. And on the other side, you know, it's it's Volkan Uzdemir who, I mean, you made the comparison to Kudalaba, and I think it's, it's accurate. He's just like a more experienced, patient version of right, that, right? Yes. Like, he's not going to, he's not going to be uh, so wild that he puts himself in, in bad situations. And look, we haven't seen the guy since he, you know, was opposite Yuri Prohaska in Yuri's UFC debut. I mean, it's, he's, it's been over a year now since Uzumir's been out there. He's lost four of his last six. You have to remind yourself, he has a win over Rakic in the last two years. So it's not like he hasn't beaten a, a big time name recently. The four losses in that, like, in, the, in his last six matches Prohaska, Dominic Reyes, Anthony Smith, and Daniel Cormier. Yeah, like he has fought the who's who, the killers of 205. Uh, I think he's massively experienced and, and, you know, this moment obviously isn't going to be too much for him. I just think you mentioned the term. I, you know, I don't don't think anybody likes to use the term gatekeeper in this sport, but it kind of feels like that's where he is. Right. We know he's he's one of the best 205ers out there. He's separated himself as that, but he's lost so many to the top guys in that division. It kind of feels like he's fallen in that middle ground of like, he's the guy that you have to get past to put yourself in that upper echelon. He's also going to keep you out because he's good enough to keep you right. out. If, uh, if you're not ready. So I, I like, I like this matchup. I think it's a great matchup. Uh, but yeah, ankle eye for me as well. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a fun, uh, pay-per-view opener for sure. And it's going to get everyone's juices flowing for yeah. what's to come. Yeah. <laughs> Second fight on the main card, welterweights, Li Jianliang, 18 and 6 overall, and it is the return. Finally, Hamzat Chimaev, 9 and 0. Oddshark.com will has Chimaev as a minus 550 favorite. By the way, that's not even the uh, he's not even the biggest favorite on the card. Minus 550 for Chimaev, plus 380 for Jianliang. Now, um I'm I'm going to knock on wood. Because uh, normally when we talk about Hamza Shemaya before a fight, uh, literally maybe a day later, the fight would be canceled. Like, that's what we <laughs> had to deal with when it came to Hamza and Leon Edwards. Like, that fight was supposed was, – was scheduled and rescheduled, Three canceled, times. all this stuff. Three times. And every time it was announced, we would talk about it, and then literally the day after, <laughs> it would get canceled. So I'm hoping this fight stays together. But from what we know about uh, Hamza, uh, he hasn't fought in about a year. And it's crazy because I think I've never seen someone burst onto the scene so quickly 
and then all of his momentum just get completely just like wiped away with everything he's had to deal with with COVID and, and everything. Uh, you know, it's a sad story because he was fighting so much. Like he he took a fight like maybe ten days or seven days after he won his debut, and ten then days. like all these fights have been finishes. Um, he fought Mearshart in a weight class above and knocked him out in 13 seconds. So he was on uh, a rocket ship up to the top, um, and it got derailed by COVID, not by um, him making any mistakes, but he just got COVID, and it's been something that he had to deal with and battle through. He's made it back. Um, th- I think the question is, like, how how has that affected him? Is he still the same guy? I mean, we've seen COVID affect athletes in different ways, um, but if he's still the same guy, then this is um, this should be a, a pretty – easy win for him not not easy but i mean he's got the tools to take this fight wherever he wants it to go um but i i say that and you know lee in his last fight with uh Pontinibio, i mean we i think we were still doing confidence points at that point yeah and uh for both of us we had santiago yeah. <laughs> as our most confident that he was going to beat lee and lee uh knocked him out so um we can't uh take it take um take him lightly and if Hamzad is taking him lightly, that would be a mistake. So um, my pick is going to go with Hamzad. Uh, I think his wrestling, his grappling, just how uh, relentless that he is, I think it's going to give uh, Lee some problems. And uh, I'm not sure how much this fight uh, stays on the feet. Uh, but, you know, yeah, Hamzad for me, man. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, look, the only way in my mind Hamzad doesn't win this is if he's still severely suffering from yeah. – uh, the the COVID that that wiped out the three times he was supposed to face Leon Edwards in what would have been just an immaculate welterweight matchup. Uh, this guy was arguably one of the most exciting fighters of 2020, right? He makes his UFC debut July 15th in Abu Dhabi, Fight Island, uh, gets a Darce choke finish in uh, one minute, 12 seconds into the second round. Ten days later, he's back in the octagon at Fight Island, beats Reese McKees in three minutes and nine seconds, ground and pound. And then, as you mentioned, he steps up in weight in September of 2020. So we're talking about a two-month period where he has his third fight in the octagon, and he knocks out Gerald Mearshart in 17 seconds. This guy's mentality doesn't allow him to look over anybody. Like, he doesn't just want to win. He wants to physically dominate his opponents. I think when you have that sort of mentality, you don't overlook anybody because your whole thing is not to just win. It's to dominate your opponent. So I, I just don't see where, I mean, you know, there's always the, if you get caught with a big punch, you know, that could be the ender. But Hamzat also has the power, but I would be shocked if he doesn't get this thing on the ground very quickly and this thing isn't a round one, whether it's ground and pound or submission. I just think that's where he's he's going to separate himself against the majority of the challengers at 170. And uh, I think it's a, a massive explosion back onto the scene for Hamza Chimaev. Man, I remember his debut. Um, not thinking too much of it, but I remember just thinking, like, he was so suffocating. Uh, I forget who he fought. The name of the guy. I think his name was John, John Phillips. John Phillips, yep. Yeah, John Phillips. And the way that he just continued to take him down, he literally did not let him breathe. Uh, it seemed after a while like John Phillips didn't want to be in there with him anymore. It was it was, fight, it was like watching Habib, right? Yeah, but and it was like watching Habib, but in a more like the pace was kind of uh, was more intense. Yeah, and I felt like I saw a lot happen in just one minute and twelve seconds. <laughs> and for him to finish it like that, uh, it was just it was crazy to me. And then uh, he took the next fight. Um, Ten days Shortly later. thereafter, ten, ten days, days later, later, yeah, got another finish, and then uh, of course, Richard. So if he's still that guy, I don't see uh, Lee lasting too long. Yeah, 
Yeah, he he just finishes you, gets out of the octagon, and then like you know whispers into the microphone as they're interviewing him, like, "I don't care, brother. Just get, I want to murder someone else. I don't care, brother. It doesn't matter who's next. Just just put me back in there immediately. I want to smash yeah. everyone." Yeah, it's it's a scary guy. Like you you yeah. hear Khabib say it, and yeah. that's scary. But when he says it, and just that tone of voice yeah. that he says it in, yeah. He's a, yeah, he's, he's just he's like, a a, guy. I don't know. It's like a serial killer, right? He's like talking about this extreme violence in such a calm, casual way that it's just like, this dude's dangerous, man. <laughs> he's like, yeah. I, I smash everyone. I don't care. Just put somebody in there. I, I just smash them all. Yeah. One after yeah. another. I, one after the other. Yeah. <laughs> Hamza Chemaev uh, is the unanimous pick here. All right, fight three of the main card, UFC 267. We head to the heavyweight division. We have Alexander Volkov, 33-9 and nine overall. Marcin Tabura, 22-6 and six overall. Volkov is a minus 300 favorite, plus 235 for Tabura. Uh, you know, this one's pretty interesting. Um, you know, Tabura's really been uh, on, a, on a hot streak as of late, and he's got the type of style that could give uh, Alexander problems if he can get it to the ground. The problem is... Will he be able to get Volkov to the ground? Um, you know, Volkov is so tall. And, I mean, you know, Volkov did struggle with uh, Curtis Blades. That's one reason why he put on so much weight is because uh, Curtis Blades was able to take him down time after time. Um, in his last fight with, with Cyril Gaon, he didn't uh, move forward and he didn't. He wasn't the, the killer that we saw against against Overeem. Um, I think uh, it just depends on what type of Volkov that we that we see. Uh, will Volkov be scared to open up because of the takedown threat or will he just, you know, not care and just move forward and put on a striking clinic? Um, at the same time, you know, Tybora knocked out Walt Harris. You know, he's he's shown that he's got he's pretty well rounded. But, you know, I think when it when it comes to experience uh, and just, you know, all the ways that this fight could go, you know, I like the thought of, uh, of Volkov putting on a striking clinic in a big spot. You know, this is the biggest fight that Tybora has been in. Um I think uh, I think I'm gonna go with Volkov. I was conflicted on this one, but I think I'm gonna go with Volkov. Yeah, it's interesting. Volkov, two of his last three wins are Walt Harris and Greg Hardy. Uh, Tabira's last two wins are Walt Harris and Greg Hardy. Uh, Tabira oh, wow. beat them in different ways. It was ground and pound finishes uh, for Tabira, where uh, Volkov I think beat Greg Hardy by decision and then finished Walt Harris. But uh, either way, look, I think you're talking about um, a, a size advantage and a length advantage for Volkov that that protects him from getting taken down here. I think you add the experience to that and just, uh, you know, I think going into that gone fight, we both felt like, you know, Volkov's obviously been a really skilled guy, but we felt like he had finally reached the point where he kind of added the violence to the skill set and then gone just completely outclassed him. Uh, I think you, you know, the same situation here. I think you just see where Volkov outclasses Tabura here with the overall skill set and just ability. So, I just think the length is going to be too much of a problem for Tabira to, to be able to get the takedowns. So it is Volkov for me as well. All right, our next matchup. Uh, this is where it gets really fun, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but, well, we had two massive matchups on this fight card that looked like they were both going to get canceled. And then we had two white knights ride in and <laughs> save the day, and not only did they save two extremely awesome fights, but I think they made the fights better, more entertaining. We have two fights that we're about to talk about that I think today are more entertaining than what was originally scheduled for UFC 267. And it starts with Islam Mahashev, 20-1 and one overall in the lightweight division. And he is facing Dan Hooker, 21-10 and 10 overall. Dan Hooker obviously stepping in for RDA. Mahashev, I mentioned Shamayev being minus 550 favorite. 
and that wasn't the biggest favorite on this card, that would be Mahashev, minus 575 for Islam. Dan Hooker, plus 390. Wow. I Well... I didn't know that Islam was that big of a favorite until you said um, there's someone who's more of a favorite than Hamza. Then I automatically knew it was Islam. But um, that's a little surprising to me. But at the same time, it's not, uh, you know, especially with Dan Hooker taking this on short notice and, uh, you know, just coming off of a, of a fight with uh, Haparas. You know, he's, he's in shape. He didn't take too much damage. So, uh, you know, it's good. The quick turnaround is good. Um, you know, like you said, this, you know, Islam and Dan Hooker definitely more uh, exciting uh, of a fight than uh, Islam and RDA would have been. Um, Dan Hooker, uh, just you know his his length, um, his skill set all around, it could offer some some problems for Islam. Uh, but what we've seen from Islam, you know, he's got the wrestling of 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 Habib just with more polished striking. Uh, so like if if Khabib had the striking of of, of Islam, like. He was already 29 and 0, but I mean, he probably would have got some 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 knockouts along the way. But you know, um, you, you look at Islam, and everyone says that he's next. You know, DC, Khabib, you know, all of these guys are are have said um, such they have such high praise for Islam, and uh, what we've seen from him thus far against Drew Dober and and all these guys, uh, Tiago Moises, you know, it's a, you know, you, you see why they say that. But you know, Dan Hooker offers more experience. He's been in main events. He's fought the champions of the division. Uh, he's been in high spots against Poirier and Chandler and, and these guys. So does, can Dan Hooker negate what Islam does with all his experience and his skill set? That's the question for me. At this point, though, I just don't see it. I have to see it to believe it. So uh, I think that's why the odds are the, are the way that they are. So my pick is going with Islam, man. I, I just don't see it. Uh, and if it happens, I, I just have to see it. Yeah. Um, it's going to be Islam for me as well. I will say, I hope I'm wrong here. Uh, I, I like Dan Hooker so much. Uh, just, you know, we've talked about it multiple times on this podcast, like the amount of, of uh, stuff he has to go through just to get in the octagon, time away from his family. And the dude is always, I mean, even from just a media standpoint, he is always as accommodating as anybody in the sport while also dealing with frustrations that would certainly not have me being nearly as accommodating as he is. So, um, I, I can't help but like the guy. Like, I, I just have a massive amount of respect for him, his style, and just the way that he faces everything that he faces. Here's the problem with this. I, I think that Dan Hooker is a challenge like Islam is not faced to this point. I think it's a massive step up in competition from what he's faced to this point. But but Dan Hooker isn't a guy that is going to stay, you know, far away from you and come in and, you know, touch you here, touch you here. Dan Hooker likes to fight in a gritty manner, right? Like, the problem here is Dan Hooker can't allow, allow himself to get taken down. And while I think his length will be a problem, I think, you know, his elbows and, uh, you know, how good he is in the clinch and all those things are pro Dan Hooker. When you're that close to Islam, at some point, it's going to lead to a takedown. And the problem right. with this fight is I think the minute this thing gets on the canvas, it goes massive advantage Islam Mahashev. And at some point, I think this thing goes to the, the canvas in the first round, and if it gets to the second round, I'm sure Dan Hooker's going to have some success, but at some point it's going to go to the canvas again, and I just don't know that once it does go to the canvas that uh, Dan Hooker has any more positive moments the rest of the round. That's how good Islam is on the ground. So um, I, I will be really intrigued to see what Dan Hooker's takedown defense looks like, how frustrated maybe he can get Islam, because like his, his style is a frustrating style, so maybe he can frustrate Islam to the point that he's not super sharp, but if he can't avoid the takedowns, uh, I mean, this is... 
all Islam on the ground. And look, the reason I think he's going to be a champion at some point in the lightweight division is because nobody has even remotely close to the ground game at that weight that Islam does. So Islam Mahashev is my winner, and I'm really looking forward to the matchup. You know, at the at the beginning of this fight, um, they're going to be dry and everything. So, you know, the takedown is probably going to be easy. So for Dan Hooker, he's going to have to maintain distance. He's going to have to move. Um, he can't let Islam get a hold of him. If I'm if I'm Dan Hooker, I'm I'm really using my uh, using my feet, using my footwork, maintaining distance, making Islam force a shot, yeah. um, and and making this uh, a striking battle for as long as I can. Because like you said, if Islam gets it to the ground, it's going to be on the ground for the remainder of the round. I mean, and you know, maybe Dan Hooker will has some tricks up his sleeve that we that Islam hasn't seen, and he's able to get back up, or maybe he can uh, threaten him with a submission or something. But uh, normally, when Islam gets it on the ground, he has the same type of ground and pound that yeah. uh, that Khabib has. So. Uh, Dan Hooker's going to definitely have to um, maintain distance and uh, and use his footwork for sure. Yeah, I just don't feel like that's when Dan Hooker's at his best. I mean, what happened against Michael Chandler when he was trying to have really good distance <laughs> management, right? Like, and and look, I know that that Islam isn't a knockout threat the way that Chandler is, but Dan Hooker just he looked uncomfortable, you know, trying to manage distance in that way. Yeah, but also Michael Chandler was putting him on his on his back foot. He was pursuing him in a way that I'm not sh- completely <laughs> sure that Islam would would pursue him. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't. I think that. I think that Islam would respect Dan Hooker's power a little more than what Michael Chandler gave <laughs> uh, his respect. So uh, I think uh, Islam is is a little bit more calculated in uh, what he likes to do, knowing that he likes to grapple and stuff. So um, yeah, I, I just don't see. Uh, Islam moving forward with reckless. I'm not saying that Michael Chandler was reckless, but he moved forward like he had, <laughs> like he was ready for for a war. Yeah. And uh, Dan Hooker was trying to maintain distance. And he, you're right, he did look uncomfortable. And uh, the result, in the end result, was what it was. So I mean, but we'll see, man. It's it's a uh, it's very intriguing for sure. I love this fight. I love this matchup. And I, look, I like it a lot more than the previously scheduled matchup. Uh, where I look, I, I don't know what the odds would have been versus RDA, but I feel like it would have been greater than minus five seventy five. Yeah, um, and you know RDA is a former champion, but you know he didn't. And, and, you know he should have beat Paul Felder in a more convincing way than he did. Uh, Paul Felder coming in on literally days' notice, yeah. and uh, he had a pretty solid performance. But uh, yeah, I, you know Islam's younger, you know the grappling and everything. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think the odds would have been a lot worse, and I think uh, the, this fight would have been very one-sided. <laughs> All right, let's uh, head to our co-main event, which is the Bantamweight Interim title. Now, here's what's interesting. I think these are the best two 135ers on the planet. Uh, It's funny that the champion right now is not one of these two guys. This is the interim belt. The champion has a win over Corey Sanhagen. Pewter Yawn was dominating Aljermain Sterling before he gets disqualified. It's such a weird, uh, I mean, just just three-way concoction that we have here with uh, Sanhagen and, and Sterling's history with Jan and Sterling's history. And now the two guys that, like I said, I think are the best two Bantamweights on the, on the planet. So we have Peter Jan 15 and two overall, the former Bantamweight champion versus Corey Sanhagen, 14 and three overall. Jan is a minus two twenty favorite Sanhagen plus one seventy five. Man. Um, with, with, like I like I've said before, this division is probably the best in the sport. Um, the, I think the MMA gods are throwing are throwing us a bone here. <laughs> I think, you know, with how that Jan and Sterling fight was going, Peter Jan was ahead and he was 
going to coast to a victory in my in my mind. Uh, I don't think that fight was going to go any different. Uh, Sterling wasn't able to take him down or uh, land anything uh, that was going to stop Peter Yan. So um, Yan was going to was on his way to retaining the belt. But of course, you throw an illegal shot, you know, and you're in a title fight. You know, stuff like that happens. You know, of course, I don't like that rule where the a title fight can change a title can change hands on disqualification, but it is what it is. Um, and then with with Corey Sanhagen, you think that uh, he beat TJ? I, I'm not gonna say that it was a robbery or anything. I, that fight could have went either way. It was that close. But um, uh, so yeah, I think the MMA gods are throwing us a bone here, and, and maybe that these are the two guys who should be fighting for the title. Um, this fight, man. Uh, you know, I, I watched. Uh, Peter Yan uh, fight earlier today, and I watched Corey Sanhagen fight earlier today, and I was just thinking of how their their styles um, would mesh. It's like and two puzzle pieces I, that fit beautifully together, right? Yeah, yeah. But my only thing is, I wonder who's going to lead the dance, you know? Because when when Yan fought Aldo, Aldo led the dance, and Aldo kind of punched himself out. And Yan, once Yan got it going, like Aldo had nothing left. We saw Sterling just basically go at Yan. Yan is so good uh, with his defense that like. Yeah. I mean, and he, and he walks forward, so you kind of just like, oh, okay, he's here, so I'm, I need to just throw something. But none of these, none of these guys have been able to hurt Peter Yan. Corey Sandhagen, on the other hand, can hurt him, but Corey Sandhagen, he's not really someone who leads the dance either. You know, like TJ pursued him, uh, Frankie Edgar pursued him, and you know, Corey was able to land that big knee. Like Marlon Rice pursued him. Like all these guys are pursuing both of them. So I, I wonder who's going to lead the dance. I think when you when Peter Yan's moving forward, like Corey's going to be using his his footwork. You know, I think he's going to chop his legs a lot, uh, body kicks and that and, and all that. Um, I just uh, I wonder when and if uh, Peter Yan uses his wrestling, uh, how that's going to look. But you know, Corey's uh, took a step when it comes to his submissions. He almost finished TJ with submissions twice in that first round. Um, so it, it's pretty interesting. I'm I'm very interested in this fight. I think we're going to see. Very high-level MMA uh, in this fight. But like I said, I went back and I thought, like, if I'm Kobe Daniels, who would I pick? <laughs> and you've said time and time again that you believe that Corey Sanhagen is a future champion. Uh, and, you know, I thought to myself, is that time now? And if I'm Kobe Daniels, what would, that, what would my answer be? I think you're going to do it. I think you're going to pull the trigger, and I think you're going to pick Corey Sanhagen. So I'm going to go opposite you, and I think I'm going to – pick Peter Yan because you know I just think he's very defensively sound and uh this I think Corey is the most dangerous matchup for Peter Yan because of how unorthodox of a striker Corey is and how well he moves but I think uh Peter Yan is going to be on his P's and Q's when it comes to his defense and uh he's going to mix in some wrestling so um with him being able to take this fight in many different ways uh, my picks on go with Peter Yan all right uh this may shock you no way but I'm going Corey Sanhagen Oh, no, I'm about to say. Uh, you know, you you talk about the styles, and, and look, I think these two fit together, like I mentioned, I mean, perfectly like puzzle pieces. I think it is a perfect matchup. They might be the best two counter-strikers in the entire division. They both are aggressive, but not overly aggressive to the point that they put themselves in danger, right? Like, they know when to go forward, but they also know when to allow the other guy to maybe go forward and wait for the big shot. I feel like there's probably a little bit more aggressiveness from Peter Yan than Corey Sanhagen as far as going forward. Overall, I would say that my bet is Peter Yan goes forward more in this fight than Corey Sanhagen does. But I also think Corey Sanhagen knows what happened in that TJ fight. 
he knows that while he thought he won the fight and a lot of other people thought he won the fight, one of the reasons why the people that thought TJ won the fight was because TJ went forward and stood in the middle of the octagon, right? It wasn't like that was the main reason that people said TJ was winning rounds. It wasn't because he was doing more. It wasn't because there was more damage. It was literally people saying, well, TJ was in the center of the octagon or TJ was the one going forward. Corey, I think, understood just that part of it and kind of what may have slipped away from him. And I think he, he feels like this is probably a massive opportunity that he's getting a little bit of a second chance ahead of schedule. So because of that, I think you will see him be more aggressive than maybe you're used to. But at the same time, both these guys are really smart and they don't put themselves in unneeded danger. Uh, So to answer your question, I think it is Jan that goes forward a little bit more, but I think we'll see both of them like perfect dance partners taking turns leading the way. And I think it's going to be a fucking blockbuster, dude. I think this is going to be an awesome fight. Uh, look, I think Jan's probably the toughest guy in this division, right? Like, I, I don't yeah, know that sure. if, if we're just talking about toughness, I, I think that's probably the toughest dude. I think Corey might have the best arsenal in the division, you know, in terms of the weapons and how he can use them. I don't know that I see this thing being a finish. I kind of feel like this thing is going to be one of those five round wars. It goes all the way. Both guys have big moments. Both guys are beat up by the end of this thing. But I think for me at the end of the day, I think Corey Sandhagen outpoints him, and that's the difference. I think it's a close fight, and I think it's an awesome fight, and this might be one of those fight-of-the-year candidates. I, I don't see either guy getting put away, and I see Corey maybe just doing a little bit more damage from all the different ways that he can damage you. But holy shit, I'm ready for this fight. Yeah, this this one's close, man. I had a hard time picking this one. You know, if you weren't uh, Team Sandhagen, I might have I went with Sandhagen. <laughs> but you know, this one, this one uh, it's as close of a matchup as you're going to get. Like, I, I thought that Corey and TJ was a was a really close matchup uh, when in the lead-up. But uh, this one, with their styles and stuff, you know, uh, it's as good as it gets. I think we're going to see high-level MMA. Uh, I think it's going to be one of those things where this, this fight might start slow and then pick up yeah. uh, steam as the rounds go on. Um, and you know, Corey's been in, in these five round fights, like, well, he fought TJ five rounds. So like you said, he knows like where the judges might see, um, in, in a close round where the judges might give, um, you know, someone like, a, like a Peter Young, who's always moving forward, uh, the nod because of the octagon control and stuff, if the striking numbers are close and, and whatnot. So I think that experience might, might help, uh, Corey because Peter Young hasn't went to full five yet. Uh, he was on his way to with Aljo, but um, uh, of course the fight ended the way it did. He finished uh, Aldo in the fourth round. Fifth. And, uh, fifth. Yeah. Was it fifth? Yeah, fifth. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, he finished uh, Aldo in the in the fifth round. I think a lot so, of people uh, felt like it should have been over uh, before the fifth started, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Aldo was barely hanging on, and just his his sheer toughness was uh, keeping him uh, in it, but the ref should have stopped it, for sure. But, um, yeah, Peter Jan hasn't went the full five yet, so, you know, he doesn't know, like, what you know, the judges scorecards is um, like how they could sway, how they could change. So, uh, yeah, Corey could, uh, with his experience going the full five, uh, could have a better I- idea of how to outpoint Peter Yan. So uh, if it ter- if it turns into that type of fight, I favor Corey. But I think um, we're going to we might see a scenario where Peter Yan uh, in the championship rounds uses his wrestling and might be able to finish a and exhausted Corey Sanhagen, but I may be wrong. We'll see. Yeah, I, I I think that's a very plausible outcome, without a doubt. Like this is this is such an awesome fight, man. I love this matchup. Uh, I don't think there are many matchups better than this that you could possibly make in the entire sport. Yeah, and it's crazy because like they're both coming off of losses, quote unquote. Yeah. 
um, like Aljo is the champion, <laughs> right? And T.J. Dillashaw is basically the number one contender. Uh, but Peter Jan and Corey Sanhagen definitely is the matchup uh, in this division. So I'm glad we're getting it, man. Yeah, and I love it. even though it's been kind of on short notice, I love this fight. It's going to be bananas. Yep. Amen to that. All right, that takes us to the main event of UFC 267. We have finally the light heavyweight championship on the line. It is Jan Blahovic and Glover Teixeira. By the way, it seems like it's been an eternity since that Glover Tiago Santos fight took place. Right. Jan Blahovic is 28 and 8 overall. Teixeira is 32 and 7 overall. We have two guys that, I mean, from MMA standards, are up there in years, are up there in experience, and also viewed as maybe two of the most likable guys in the entire sport. Jan Blahovic is a minus 300 favorite, plus 235 for Glover Teixeira, according to oddshark.com. Well, first of all, I did not know Glover only had seven losses. Like, that is a pretty solid record <laughs> uh, for how long he's been in this sport. Like, wow, 32-7. Um, well, um, I, you know, I kind of went back and forth. I think the odds should be a lot closer. You know, I Agreed. think Jan minus 300, I think that's a little too generous uh, because Glover definitely could win this fight. Um, I, you know, I'm, I was going back and forth on this at first, but I, you know, started to look at, or started to think about some of Glover's past fights against similar competition to a uh, Jan Blahovic, a big power puncher. Um, I uh, I remembered a uh, Rumble Johnson. Rumble, yep. That fight uh, that fight lasted all of 14 seconds. <laughs> and um, who was the other guy that I was thinking about? Um, Gustafson. I don't think it was Gustafson. It was uh, man. It's gonna come to me. Um, well, okay. Let's say it was Gustafson because they because he lost in the in the same type of manner. So when he fought um, on this winning streak, he fought Anthony Smith and he's fought um, Tiago Santos in his last two. Yeah. And in both of those fights, uh, Anthony Smith came out very aggressive, um, probably overly aggressive. Uh, kind of might have punched himself out, right? And um, uh, Tiago Santos kind of did the same thing, thinking that they can finish Glover or just at least trying to make a statement against Glover. Um, but Glover, you know, weathered the storm and whenever the storm passed, uh, those guys had nothing left and he was able to, uh, to finish both of them. I don't think, I think Jan has proved enough to me that he's not going to be that guy to go forward and just to try to, um, unleash these, these punches or whatever. I think that Jan's going to be more labored back and he's going to wait for the opportunities, um, like it's the same thing with, with Izzy. I thought he would be a guy to kind of go forward, but he kind of waited for opportunities and just scored when he could. I think I don't think Glover can outpoint uh, Jan, and if Glover tries to lead the dance, I think Jan is um, a great counter striker. Like against Dominic Reyes, knocked him out uh, count, uh, countering. Against uh, uh, Corey Anderson, knocked him out uh, countering. Against uh, Luke Rocco, knocked him out countering. So just he's a very good counter striker. So. It makes me wonder, like, how Glover, what's his recipe uh, to win? Is he going to be able to take Jan down? Uh, you know, Jan's a, Jan's a big dude. <laughs> and if Jan's not tired, you know, I don't really see how Glover is able to get him down uh, that easy. So I don't, I think this matchup is, is, is stylistically, even though it seems uh, like it's a good matchup on paper, I think Glover is going to struggle uh, trying to be offensive. And uh, if he's too offensive, I think Jan knocks him out. It, you know, if not, I think Jan outpoints him. So my pick's going to be with uh, Jan Blahovic. 
All right, that is uh, two for two in the main event. I'm going Jan Blahovich as well. This is such an interesting matchup because, look, Glover has a great chin. Uh, you know, we saw him take Tiago Santos' best shots, like best shots, and survive. Now, here's where this is interesting because you kind of just laid out, I think, some of the things, same things that I was thinking. If Jan lands the big shot, like, we know that Glover can take some of those, but that to me is where Glover becomes also the most dangerous, right? It's in the chaos of a scramble where maybe Jan hurts him and then feels like he can get the finish and comes in and then Glover out of necessity, like just has to grab on and to, to, to avoid getting finished. And that's how he gets you on the ground, right? It's, it's like a desperation takedown to just avoid himself being finished. And then all of a sudden he's in the, the advantageous position. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know that he's going to be in a good spot to be able to just get takedowns on Jan Blahovich because, as you mentioned, I think what we've seen from Jan and what makes him really dangerous is not just the fact that he is immensely powerful; it's that he's extremely patient, and uh, he, you know, he he waits for his opportunity, and then when that opportunity is there, he obviously makes the most of it. But I just don't see him getting sloppy to allow Glover to have opportunities to get him on the ground and. That's where I think the Glover advantage is. If it goes to the ground, it's obviously advantage Glover. I just don't know where that opportunity presents itself short of Jan uh, getting somewhat careless. And the only time I could see him getting careless is, you know, a little bit like the Tiago Santos situation where maybe he hurts him uh, and he's not able to just knock him out with a punch, but hurts him, senses that a finish is available. And then in the chaos, you know, out of necessity, Glover ends up uh, just grabbing onto him to get, you know, to survive. And next thing you know, it's like Tiago Santos is tapping because Glover grabbed onto him out of necessity and then ended up in the best position he could be in. So, yeah, this is a this is a Jan Blahovich win for me. But I, I think you know what we've learned from Glover over this winning streak is uh, the guy can find a way and will find a way and is not going to be an easy out. And it wouldn't surprise me if a decent part of this fight was somewhat boring and yeah. didn't have a lot of action. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I think ultimately there's just a tremendous amount of respect from both of these guys, and I don't think any's, either one of them is going to be in a hurry to try and uh, you know put on a fireworks show. Yeah, you know, I just wonder how offensive Glover uh, is going to be. Like you said, some of this fight is probably going to be boring. Um, it's, it's one of those things like who leads the dance. I think um, Jan ha- has found a way to be able to to, to score um, at distance. Like against Dominic Reyes, he used his kicks, his body kicks, like beautifully like uh it, it was not very beautiful for Dominic Reyes because he had a welt on the, on his side from how uh, hard Jan was kicking him but um yeah I think Jan over um uh, over his title run over these championship fights that he's fought he's uh, his IQ has just gone through the roof and uh you know I think Glover uh he likes to fight you know in close he likes to box um but with Jan, I don't think that's the it's obviously not the best recipe for success because of uh, how good of a counter striker that he is. So, yeah. like you said, it could uh, turn into something that's uh, it's kind of boring. We'll just kind of see like them kind of feel each other out. But um, I just think uh, Jan at this point just has all the tools and he's got more ways to win in terms of IQ and uh, being a counter striker. Yeah, I mean, look, these uh, are older course, guys like, with a lot of experience. I, neither one of these guys yeah. is going to. Pr- they know it's a five rounder. It's, yeah. it, you know, for Glover, it's a, it's an opportunity he's waited on forever. Right. Jan obviously understands that, you know, he, he, you know, he completely turned his career around and now has this chance to, to, you know, go on a heck of a run. I just, I just don't see where in, you know, round one or maybe even round two where either guy 
just has a lot of urgency to try and force the issue. Uh, I do think at some point we will see, you know, some some uh, big stuff happen. I just don't think it's early, and I think both guys are going to just kind of feel each other out and, and maybe wait for the other one to make a mistake. And, yeah, ultimately, like you said, I think, you know, the recipe for Glover to win, I just don't see where those opportunities present themselves because Jan yeah. has just been so uh, disciplined. Yeah, uh, very calculated. Uh, he's a he's a killer, but he's very calculated with it. Uh, he knows when to when to strike. Uh, but he also knows like it's not going to be it's not going to come uh, automatically like some of these fights like he fought Kutalaba. We know what type of fighter that Kutalaba is. So those opportunities for Glover probably seemed very easy for him right. to get him down and, and to choke him out. Anthony Smith, um, like I, I watched that fight a few days ago and I couldn't believe how active Anthony Smith was. He's normally never that active, um, throwing just volumes and volumes of punches and kicks. He did hurt Glover in the first round, but I think that might have been to his detriment. And then Thiago Santos, same thing. So, uh, yeah, Jan Blachowicz, I'm sure he's he studied some film. I mean, he's, he's not that type of fighter anyways, but I think he knows not to uh, overextend himself uh, trying to knock out Glover. Yeah, so. I, I do think it's interesting if this does get on the canvas. Like, it's big advantage Glover, but I will say, like, the way that Glover completely manhandled Anthony Smith and the way that, you know, he, he had so much more strength on the canvas than Thiago Santos, like, I don't think it's nearly the same advantage from a physicality standpoint if he's on the on the mat with Jan, right? Like, Jan's just a bigger, stronger, sturdier dude where I don't think he completely manhandles him in the same way, but that's where Glover wants this fight to take place, and I do think it is advantage Glover. Yeah, it's definitely advantage Glover if he gets to the ground, and on top of that, if if this fight does go to the ground, I don't think it's going to be a scenario where um, Jan is completely exhausted. Maybe if it happens in the later rounds, but if it happens early... Um, it's going to be because Glover found a, uh, found a way to get him down, but it was but it wasn't because Jan uh, overextended himself early, and then it was just so exhausted that Glover is able to take him down easy. Um, so if Glover is able to get him down on the ground, Jan is big, he's strong. I'm sure he'll be able to get uh, back to the cage and work his way back up. Whereas Anthony Smith and Thiago Santos were so exhausted that they just you know had to you know sit there, kind of just let Glover have his way with them. Yeah. You know, we uh, we said, talking about last week's main event, is it possible for both guys to lose? Uh, this is one of those where I think a lot of people are like, man, I wish I wish both guys could win, right? Like, both dudes are yeah. the most likable guys in the sport. Yeah, just, just you know, of course, how uh, nice they are. Um, no one can really say a bad word about them. They don't engage in trash talk. I mean, the, in the lead-up, they've both been so respectful of each other. Um, if you're a casual and, you, and you're... Um, looking at this main event, you're like, oh, so what type of shit are they talking? There's none to be, <laughs> there's none to be had for sure. But when you look at their stories, just of how both men, um, uh, how they had to rebound from big losing streaks, and how um, people were talking to Glover about retiring, and how Jan was uh, was might have was might have got cut with another loss. Like I remember uh, watching Jan fight Alexander Gustafson, and he lost by decision. But then he fought. Um, Jimmy Manoa lost by decision too. So, you know, he lost four or five, but then he fought Jimmy Manoa again. And I, and I was kind of thinking like, why is, or why are they running this back? Jimmy Manoa is going to beat him pretty easy, but Jan won. And that kind of started this streak uh, for Jan. And it kind of turned like his whole uh, fortunes around. Jan has just continued to get better and better with every single fight. Uh, his only loss um, was to Tiago Santos and Tiago knocked him out, you know, Tiago was on a was on a tear at the at the time, but you know since then that, that since then Jan has just been uh, his IQ has wrote has risen like 
it's, 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 a, it's a special story to see for both guys to have come from where they have come from and to be where they are now. So I'm sure this is a special moment for both of them. You know, like Glover said time and time again, like this might be my last chance at a, at the title, which it probably is. He's 42, so sure yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, so I'm sure he's going to leave it all out there. And on the other hand, we know what's kind of, what kind of what's next. We kind of know who's waiting in the wings. It's Yuri Pohaska. And we know the type of... Uh, we know the type of fight <laughs> that Yuri and Jan could have. So I'm sure internally we're both thinking, come on, Jan, yeah. get this win so we can see you fight Yuri. But we wouldn't be mad either at a Glover Cheryl win. I'm not mad at either one of these guys, uh, you know, and new or and still on Saturday afternoon because uh, I like them both. And look, for Glover to share a, you know, 32 and 7 overall, he's 42 years old. He's put together this amazing win streak at the twilight of his career. Uh, if he were to get this thing, I mean, it would be an incredible story. At the same time, like, Jan's 38, right? Like, you you yeah. mentioned, like, that he was maybe a fight away from getting cut, and then, you know, somehow, like, he's gotten older, and he's gotten, like, I guess wiser, and his body hasn't let him down. So he's, like, hitting on all cylinders at this point, late in his career, 38 years old, and he's at his very best. Uh, the fight that potentially awaits us with Jan Blahovich and Yuri Prohaska, like, the excitement level I had talking about the last fight with Peter Jan and Corey Sanhagen... <laughs> It would be that with these two only, there's no way that that thing goes 25 minutes, right? Like, I think Yawn and Sanhagen's going to be a great fight, and I think it's going the distance. I'm excited about it. I'm equally as excited about the idea of Blahovich and Prohaska inside the octagon, but I know with zero hesitation, one of those guys is getting slept that night. Like, <laughs> there will be a finish, and it will be violent, and we're all going to, like, I won't sit down for that one. I'll be standing up the entire time. That will be... As good a fight as you could, you know, I just mentioned this. It'll be as good a fight as you can possibly make in the UFC right now. Yeah, every division has that one fight that's at the that's just at the top. Like in in at bantamweight, it's Peter Yan and Corey Sanhagen. At featherweight, it's Max and Alexander Volkanovsky. At two hundred five, it is Jan Blahovich and Yuri Pohaska at this point, man. Uh, and just the the styles. I mean, Yuri goes forward like <laughs> Jan has is a great counter striker. You know. One of these guys is getting finished. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. Like as long as this fight is 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 going on, it, there's going to be violence, and both guys are going to be trying to finish each other. Um, yeah, that fight's going to be a war if we, if we're able to see it. I'm sure either way, either way, this fight goes with with Glover and Jan. I'm sure we're going to see Jan and Yuri fight at some point. But um, if that's if Jan is able to win this fight and that fight is next, yeah, that's. Definitely going to be one of the fights of the year for sure. And for the love of everything holy, please don't make us wait a year for that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Please don't make us wait a year for that. That absolutely has to be next, um, especially if this is a quick finish. Let's turn them around and maybe yeah, get them April? in January, yeah. February. I mean, yeah, that, yeah so that would that'd like, be six months. So, yeah. Yeah, let's get them in there quick, man, March. because the, the urgency for that fight. Um, it's at its all-time high for sure. Because especially after what Yuri did with Dominic Reyes, like people were itching to see him fight Jan. Of course, you you can't pass up Glover because of how he's been looking. But uh, Jan and Yuri, that fight, yeah, that's that's the one. Well, they could both end it at any point. And then the yeah. styles, you know, again, like Jan is patient, Yuri is aggressive and going to go forward. And like, you know, it, unstoppable force meets immovable object. Right? What happens? Yeah, it's it's. Like, Yuri is going to go forward. He's very aggressive. But it is very, very dangerous <laughs> to go forward at, a, at Jan Blachowicz. Yeah. Ask Luke Rockhold. Ask Corey Anderson. Uh, ask these guys. Uh, it is not fun going forward at uh, Jan Blachowicz. Even though he doesn't open himself up too much. He does, you know, he kind of stands there. But, you know, he's waiting for you. If you want to yeah. come in, like, 
build this Polish power, my friend. Yeah. One thing I wanted to bring up that I, I forgot a minute ago, uh, and we'll end on this. Jan Blachowicz's last fight was Israel Adesanya. It was a 185er, right? And there was no worry about getting taken down or what would happen on the ground. This is the complete opposite, right? Like, this is the 180-degree complete opposite of what he faced the last time he was inside the octagon. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, 180 degrees, like you said. Like, Israel is a guy who who likes to point fight, but he, he's a sniper. He, he yeah. likes to manage distance. He's not yeah. going to overextend himself. Glover, there's just um, there's more danger when in terms of, like, you can't just worry about the strikes and the kicks. You have to worry about the grappling. Um, it could come at, in, at any point. Uh I think Jan was prepared for to point fight with Izzy. Um, I think with Glover, he's got to be prepared for so much more. Yeah. Um, he's got to be prepared for because uh, Glover could knock him out. We've seen Glover get knockouts before. We've seen Glover uh, take people down and get submissions. So there's just more of more of MMA that Jan has got to be uh, aware of than with with Izzy. So uh, just the um, just the matchup itself, man. It, yeah. It's it's very intriguing, man. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. UFC 267 on Saturday, prelims beginning at 930. Uh, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, I will be ready. And, uh, dude, light a fire under your fence guy and uh, get your ass over here ASAP. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, I don't know if I'm going to have to – if you finish early, I'll give you this much extra. Right, yeah. Because at this point, uh, man, I got to – I got to get there for 267, and I got to get some bacon wrap jalapenos. Amen, man. Amen. All right, my brother. Uh, we will, uh, we'll see you Saturday. I'm just going to speak it into existence. We'll see you Saturday. Yes, sir. Podcast is over.